Hello everybody, my name is Daniel Prince and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin can mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today's guest, uh, Danny Brewster from the UK from um, Fast Bitcoins. And uh, it's um, it's a great it's a great episode. It's nice to have uh, a British company again on the show that are um, Bitcoin only and building something really great in the space, which is going to be so like, easy for people to use and um, get access to Bitcoin. So let's get into it. I hope you enjoy this one. Stick um, stick around because he's got some. Uh, he's got an amazing story up his sleeve. Um, thanks as always for listening. And uh, please make sure, guys, go check out um, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten to start your stacking sats journey. And um, yeah, just start investing a little bit a week, guys, um, or daily. You you know you can get down to as you know I think the minimums are like fifty pence. You know, there's no excuse to not start stacking a few sats away and um, joining us on this journey into the rabbit hole of Bitcoin. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. And uh, with me today is Danny Brewster from Fast Bitcoins, uh, based out of the UK. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And Lauren is here, as usual, to ask the first question. So do you want to fire away? Why did you make a Bitcoin business? Um, good question. Because I'm a little bit crazy. Um, I think I can help change the world and make the world a better place if we have more people with a little bit of Bitcoin in their pocket. So your generation and my daughter's generation and then my grandchildren's generation can live in a world that's a little bit more peaceful. That that That's why. Okay, and I got and I got another question. Go. How old is your daughter? Um, I've well, I've got four step uh, four stepchildren and one daughter. Um, my daughter is twelve. I've got one stepdaughter that's thirteen, one that's fifteen, one that's seventeen, and a stepson that is eleven. Wow! And <laughs> we have two dogs, two cats, one cat called Satoshi. Uh, we used to have a cat called Nakamoto. Um, and we've got two leopard geckos. So we've got lots going on in our house. And trying to run a business at the same time. And I run the business from home. Uh, that's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's fun. So I wouldn't have it any other way. How about that? That's a good, that's uh, a good answer. Says, what do we have here? We've got three kids, three chickens. Yeah, uh, yeah, including me. Yeah, you are one of the kids, yes. Yeah. yeah. There's four. So how... Oh, sorry. Yes, four kids, three chickens. What am I even thinking? <laughs> I forgot about a kid. Which Who one did, did I forget? Which one, which one did I forget? Okay, let's see. I think Sophia. I think you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good. Oh, well. Just don't let the wife hear <laughs> that you're forgetting one of the children. Well, yeah. Luckily, none of the family, like literally, none of the family, listens to podcast. So uh, that's all good, huh? Even even mum and dad and my brothers. I'll get away with that one. Yeah, you will, because they won't listen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they but don't believe about Bitcoin. Not yet. No. They don't believe in it? Nope. Okay, so but you, you haven't got the time to, to, to talk them into it? Well, my dad has tried a few times, but 
I think there was a famous Satoshi saying, I have the, neither the time nor inclination to try and convince you. You will just be shown. It will get it will get all of us one day, yeah. and we will yeah. slowly start to understand. And then everybody will go like, "Why didn't you tell us in the first place? <laughs> yeah. We've been telling you for like years, and you won't <laughs> listen." Yeah, we've been doing this for ten years, telling people. I, I I had a good friend tell me yesterday, "I wish I'd listened to you ten years ago." And these days, I don't even really preach to to friends and family anymore. Um, I listen. I think it was when Obi was on with you, uh, Obi from Coinfloor was saying that he used to be that Bitcoin guy um, at every social gathering, uh, meeting, just pushing Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Um, and you get to a point where you're no longer that person and people just gravitate towards you. Um, and I always use now uh, a great indicator that I call it my great bubble indicator is when my barber is trying to shill ripple to me. Um, not that not that I need a barber now because um, I have the COVID haircut um, where the the missus gave it a best shot. But uh, but yeah, when the barber tries to to show me Ripple or some other altcoin, uh, then I know we're really in a bubble. Yeah, that is definitely definitely a red flag. Right. Well, do you want to? Uh... Yeah. Say goodbye. And yeah. Good night. Okay. Good night. Bye. Thank you very much. Night. It was a pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you too, and I hope your business is carrying on. Me too. Uh, All I can do is try. Exactly. Um, thank you, mate. You must be so um, proud. Thank you. So, yeah, it's great. It's um, it's funny actually. Uh, I, I recorded with um, uh, another guest a little earlier on, and as I was setting up, I heard her playing with her dolls next door, and she's like. Hey, 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 guys, how are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Hey, do you know about Bitcoin? Huh? Bitcoin, what's that? And I was sitting here like, yes. She's even playing Bitcoin dolls now. So it's, um, it's slowly seeping in. Yeah. Um, which, uh, how about your kids? Are you finding the same, like being around like a Bitcoin <laughs> no, dad? That's, no. no? <laughs> um, my, my daughter is convinced that uh, I need to grow the business into being a unicorn. Um, she An actual unicorn? Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> she, she's uh, she understands what a billion means <laughs> um, and how many uh, how many games on the Xbox and stuff that would equate to. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but no, I in a way I don't push anything onto them. Um, they they probably know more about Bitcoin than most of their friends and family uh, uh, and other people and stuff. But uh, I I got to a point now where. Like I say, you don't want to be that Bitcoin guy that's just constantly at people trying to tell them that this is the next big thing. Um, it kind of wears you down. Um, so being able to, to step away from work and separate family and work for me is absolutely um, critical for just my own um, well-being, really, uh, to have those two parts of my life. Um, so, yeah, but even though they always say, oh, you Dad or Danny, you're just always on your phone. Uh, it's like, yeah, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Just scrolling Twitter. I, I try not to uh, to engage too much time on it now um, because you can just end up running around in circles with stupid people. Um, mm. And, it's, and it, life is so much less stressful when you, you don't let things or people um, get you into a heated debate over three hours. Um, that time can be spent so much more productively <laughs> than, than yeah. arguing with somebody 
um, which is generally an argument over language these days um, and terminology. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, and everything's so like polarizing these days, right? If yeah, if you were allowed down the pub, let's say you you were allowed down the pub again, and you went down, you met like six or seven mates. Um, you know, you could the, the conversation could bounce around so quickly, and you could find yourself having the complete opposing view um, because of what Bitcoin has taught you about, like probably about like um, God knows how many different rabbit holes you've been down. Yeah, uh, like See, this politics is, for one. This like, is you know, why I struggle to to ever call somebody an expert um, because yeah. there's so many different fundamental. Um, aspects to bitcoin whether it's be economics computer science distributed systems uh, apply crypto uh, cryptography um like networking computer networking we're even beyond the internet now obviously with satellite communication uh, and now uh, obviously starlink's being launched by um spacex uh, and things like that which introduces like additional um and then you've got like the real like for me the the real genius is in the spaces uh, which are the people building things like Rodolfo over at CoinKite, who who will play around uh, and I believe like Nick Sabo uh, play around with like uh, radio frequency, like radio broadcasting, um, Bitcoin transactions uh, and and data and things like that. That for me and like the MeshNet guys, um, uh, Go Tenor and all of the other like more open source solutions for for MeshNets. Then they're the real like geniuses for me um, that are building and developing and the the people that I like to, to look at and look to uh, and stuff. But, uh, but, yeah, there's just so many different aspects. So for me, it's really hard to be an expert across them all. Um, and I even tweeted the other the other day about you know, I've been in Bitcoin, what, nearly nine, coming up probably even 10 years and – well, no, sorry, nine years. Um, and I, I still struggle to find the words to truly describe it to the layman um, – because you can just go off on a tangent and it, it's, uh, yeah, maybe I just need to work on my communication. I have people telling me it should be discussed like this and like this. And it's like, but you're doing that. And you, the first words that you used were factually incorrect. So no, I won't describe it like that. Um, like somebody called it unhackable. Um, well, there's a block in 2010 that kind of created billions of Bitcoin. <laughs> um, so as, as part of uh, an output and uh, the, the chain kind of got rolled back and that um, whole uh, issue seems to get like swept under the carpet uh, by a lot of people that are trying to um, project this image of what Bitcoin is uh, and mold it in their own eyes and their creation and impart that on other people. I just kind of don't really agree with that. So, well, yeah, um, I don't know too much about that. The, See, that you it's, just brought it's, up. It's, yeah, it, it it's like a major factor, and it was a, a bug. It was a buffer overflow bug, and there's a like a timestamp bug in about eighty or ninety years. Um, Bitcoin will stop um, hmm. because there's a, a thirty-two bit integer, um, which is a, a a software engineering problem where this timestamp is going to um, literally click over to zero um, because it can't get any bigger. Um, and the next block after the like the previous block that's created after that requires, as part of the consensus rules, the next timestamp to be larger than the last one. Um, 
but it's going to be zero or one, two, three, four, or wherever the, the time is. So Bitcoin is going to stop. We need to fix that problem. Um, and there's far better people than me to talk about how that can be fixed. Um, can it be in- implemented as a soft fork? Uh, or is it going to be requiring uh, a hard fork and stuff like that? And like, people like Luke Dash Jr., Peter Woolley, uh, those are the type of people that are probably far better at answering those questions than me. So there's there's so many like cheerleaders, and for me, they're just hype. I just call them hype men that uh, will just post all day about how great Bitcoin is um, and not actually look at any of the real problems that need addressing or even acknowledge them. Um, so I just try to, to, to remain as level as I possibly can. You need to kind of stay away from Twitter to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, true. Um, but I have been one of those people that told that was out and shouting that Bitcoin is the next best thing since sliced bread. Um, I've been that person before. Um, and yeah, it's humbling over time. Yeah, I'm not sure where I am right now. I'd have to ask my bunch of mates. Like, I'm at the point now where um, like I'm getting more questions directed my way than than ever before. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, yeah, I definitely just started toning it down. I, I mean, the whole reason I started the podcast was I just needed other people to talk to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you are out in a group of people and like, uh, and Bitcoin should come up, whatever, you know immediately whether or not that person actually is like down the rabbit hole and truly understands it, and you just feel a, a, a total gravitational pull towards them. Yeah. Um, even what you also find is like. On social media and things, people can be the most like uh, combative, um, most disagreeable person going. Um, but yet, when you put them in a in a conference room together, they actually share so many things in common that even brought them into the space. That whereas, if you was to to think, oh, well, the, these people, if these two, you wouldn't put these two people in the the same room together because it would probably turn into a fight. When they actually sit down and talk, they're just having a laugh and a joke, and um, they generally. Uh, this is how I've always seen like it play out in conferences and stuff like that uh, in the past, um, and hopefully it stays that way. But people, everybody in this space, one way or another, has been drawn into this space um, generally for the same kind of reasons. So you've already got like a fundamental uh, understanding of like certain belief systems and stuff that's probably going to shift as the the space gets bigger and grows and uh, away from that it probably already has started well we saw with the um b cash fork and everything how all the salesmen went one way and all of the geeks computer guys went the other way or stayed on the same path i should say um but yeah it's uh it's it's definitely good to to actually meet these people in people in person especially if you disagree on social media and stuff yeah i've not done one of the conferences yet Uh, i was hoping to this year but you know who knows when we'll be back allowed on planes and so you're based in south of france right yeah yeah look at you uh like for me this whole um lockdown uh and things like that we the, the sooner we can get back to some kind of like normality, the better. If people are just responsible for themselves, they're generally going to be a lot more cautious and uh, stuff like 
for like infection prevention and stuff for other people. Um, but uh, and, and if you're vulnerable, protect yourself. Just act in your own self best interest. So. So, yeah, exactly, mate. Um, I need a holiday. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Um, you said something right at the beginning about the SpaceX and the Starlink satellites. Have you seen them go over? Yes. I, How unbelievable is that? Um, I Well, I've seen them go over post-launch. Um, the last launch they did, um, they literally passed over um, the, the, like, the UK or the south half of the UK um, literally 30 minutes after launch, which was pretty cool. So we didn't see the whole wow. chain, but we saw the like the stage two um, right. pass over. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's mad. Like the whole chain we just saw the other night. It was like, oh my God. Really? And this, uh, oh, yeah. Love Unreal. To, yeah. I, I, just, um, I, I know you can track it online and see when it's going to be um, visible and stuff like that. Um, I should probably look that up. Yeah, your kids would love it. Yeah. If it's, I can get uh, them off the Xbox at the moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so let's um what's uh you know the 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 usual kind of um order of, of podcast is, you know, the rabbit hole story and what uh what brought you into Bitcoin and, and where you were at the time and uh yeah, what 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 can you um what can you share with us? Like right back. I mean, what was that day? It's like, huh? What is this Bitcoin thing? For me, it's actually quite funny. Um, I broke my hand on the back of somebody's head, which was kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> so I had my hand in pot and the, so I couldn't work, couldn't do anything. So I just sat at home, had to switch my mouse over to my left hand and I was, that's all I can really truly remember was having to get used to using my desktop with my left-handed mouse or with a left using my left hand on the mouse um, and just reading and just all sorts of random things that were just that I was bored um, and I couldn't even tell you the name of the blog that I was reading um, but I kind of discovered it uh, on a it was like a financial blog and because um, I think I had some bonds due, like due for renewal, um, so just uh, or due for maturity, I should say, and the it just fell into my life, and because I was bored, I had the time to just go get into it. Like everybody, oh, what's this? Oh, distributed. There's no um, like central point of failure. Uh, kind of understood. Um, what, cent- uh, what, or truly, what a central point of failure would mean um, for for money and not having that, uh, especially electronic money uh, being un- unregulatable um, on a network level, uh, because I was the first person in school with a CD writer. Um, <laughs> so the uh, the entrepreneurial spirit was there in school, um, and then uh, so yeah, so. Pre um, Napster, we used to have like Audio Galaxy and stuff, which was like websites where you could download the MP3s directly from the website. Before Napster was even a thing, um, for all of my old rap albums, and <laughs> uh, used to do my mix CDs and stuff as well. Um, like back being like 14, 15, 
um, in school. And so, yeah, so I kind of understood the uh, what it would mean for money because I'd seen the file sharing um, path from um, like Audio Galaxy and websites all the way through like Napster, the failure of Napster, um, the the music industry's reaction to Napster. Uh, and I'd worked in uh, in retail banking uh, straight out of school as well. Um, so understood that money wasn't backed by anything uh, and stuff. Um, and I, for me, uh, one of the, um, the greatest speakers on Bitcoin, um, especially from an economics perspective, is Ter de Meister. Um, he came over to Cyprus and stuff and uh, wrote a blog piece about me and what everything that happened in Cyprus at that time, uh, which I'm pretty sure we'll cover. But even to this day, his early talks on Bitcoin um, are just absolutely phenomenal for making that penny drop um, as to, to what it's really capable of from an economics perspective. Um, censorship resistance and everything else like that is well, censorship resistance is literally the key selling point of Bitcoin. Um, not saying that censorship resistance in the form of um, darknet markets or anything like that, but censorship resistance of in, if it's mine, it's mine. Uh, like not your keys, not your coins. Come and take it from me. Um, I've not even got any. Um, <laughs> that boating <laughs> accident was terrible. Um, so, yeah, that, that for me um, is just... Uh, why Bitcoin is our only hope going forward, mm. or our biggest hope. Uh, yes, our biggest hope for sure. It's funny you bring up Tour because he was one of the first people that I saw on um, on Real Vision um, talking about uh, uh, Bitcoin. And yeah, you're right. He, he has a, I can't even remember exactly what he said, but it was just like, one, I couldn't believe how young this guy was talking complete He looks younger than what he is, trust. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's definitely looked after himself then. But uh, it was, um, yeah, it's, and still to this day, you know, he's still on top of his game. Absolutely. It's, uh, um, and, and for me, he communicates it so brilliantly. Um, uh, and there was one video, can't remember from when, it's probably from 2012, maybe even before. And he was saying um, about if just the, the black market economy, like the shadow economy, if that, like five percent of the the black market economy filters into Bitcoin, like the value of Bitcoin, and then only like when it was put into those kind of or framed in that way, um, did I personally truly get the the nature of it. But before that, it was just like a, a niche, uh, pretty cool thing for firing value across the internet. Right. So you mentioned Cyprus. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, you were you were out there. Um, so yeah, what what was the um, path after school then? Uh, you, you, you you touched on retail banking. So yeah, I what, I was, was a that? nightmare at school. Um, the way that I, I literally... entrepreneurs generally are, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, on reflection, I was probably far more disruptive than I'd like to have been. I, I came away from school with with good enough grades and, and things like that. But the way that I learn is I can read something and I can generally remember it. And if I if I'm interested. Uh, I'll generally remember it and be able to recall it and um, apply it contextually. Um, <clears throat> but I couldn't get into sixth form or college because of my school report. Um, to be honest with you, I don't blame them. 
I wouldn't want to have taught me either. Um, I got banned off the school's computers because I removed all of my own internet restrictions on the first lot of computers that had internet access at school. Um, so I remember um, some rather risque photos um, being printed <laughs> off and there was five of us marched into the headmistress's office with these printouts on her desk saying, how have you done this? Um, and then she told the other four to leave and then the uh, the head of the the, the council's um, IT department came in and screamed at me, how did you do it? Um, so I kind of had to explain. But then I was just banned off the computers at school permanently. Um, how did you know how to do that, that young? Um, my stepfather uh, was essentially a, a computer nerd. Um, so uh, I tinker. I literally remember selling, um, I put together... Um, a little bit of a, an online business selling, I don't know if you can remember, the Nokia 3210 and the 3310, the the ringtones and the, the custom screensavers, which was like a bitmap, um, like images uh, for screensavers and wallpapers on the old Nokia 3210 bricks, um, and, and selling them. Uh, so people could like text the, the premium number and stuff. And I had the printouts when you could, in the magazines, you would see the uh, things, but I did that at school and stuff like that. Um, so just tinkering and learning and reading old boards and things like that. Um, I wouldn't really promote my kids to do it now, but, uh, but yeah, so we had no internet restrictions at school where everybody else did. <laughs> so boys being boys, um, yeah, that was fun and games. Um, so, yeah, so I couldn't get into to college or um, sixth form. So I moved away uh, because I had some quite tearaway friends. So my mum sent me to live with my grandparents. Um, <coughs> applied for a job in a bank because um, I was working for my grandparents' company, which I'd later come back to um, grow and uh, prepare for sale. And we sold the, the business for them, which enabled them to retire. Um, so... But that was only a temporary thing whilst I looked for something more interesting that I wanted to really do. Um, so I applied for a job at a bank, got my first job interview, walked in um, confident, probably a little bit overconfident to be fair, knowing me um, at that time. Absolutely smashed the interview. Um, found out when I got the job that I was the youngest ever employee of the bank, um, straight out of school. <laughs> I still have my curtains um, and my undercut. Um, then the, I found out after my interview, um, that the manager was the most notorious manager in the, in like the region. Um, and she walked downstairs and she literally told the entire team, I've just had a, a, 15, a 16 year old in for an interview that's just done better than all of you, <laughs> you ever did in your interviews. Um, so I, uh, worked in retail banking, discovered that, Money is a fraud. Um, the, right. <laughs> uh, what, what was your job there uh, at start, on the retail? I literally started out um, <clears throat> as a 16-year-old behind the counter. Uh, within six months, I was training to be a personal financial consultant. Uh, this was when the FSA was around. Uh, and I was I literally done all of the, the courses and everything for uh, being a a personal financial consultant for the uh, more wealthy clients of the bank. Um, 
but I wasn't 18, so I couldn't get licensed by the FSA. Um, so I was just waiting. I kind of got bored in the in the job. Really should have like stuck it out, um, but left there and moved to HSBC. Um, kind of got bored bored of banking, um, like in the like retail banking. It's not investment banking um, where all the big money is earned. Um, so so left and. Uh, like literally went into one of the family businesses, like with my grandparents, back to where I literally went as a stop off between like school and getting a job for um, the bank. And then from there, built that or just structured everything so we could sell the company, which enabled them to retire. Um, and then moved into another one of the family businesses, which was in the security industry. Um, that was going through like regulatory upheaval at the time. Um, then pretty much discovered Bitcoin. Right. I also like made some other like investments and stuff in other like enterprises and stuff uh, like before that time. Learned some lessons, got burnt in some, made some money in others, um, but uh, nothing, um, nothing too major. Um, and then I say discovered Bitcoin. Moved to Cyprus in 2012 um, because my uh, daughter. My daughter's mother was married to somebody in the REF, got posted to Akatiri in Cyprus. So um, I, I wanted to give my daughter that opportunity to experience another culture and everything. Um, so I yeah. didn't want to deny her of that. And I could just up and move and work from anywhere. Um, so I did that. So I just moved over to Cyprus. Um, then the balance happened. The um, Where the... Um, the banks literally haircut 50% of everything over a hundred thousand euros in everybody's accounts. Um, the original plan was uh, 8% of everything over a thousand euros. Um, but the, uh, that was going to cause violence. Um, somebody that's got 1200 euros in their account is going to feel any loss more than somebody that's got 250,000 euros. Um, and I think it was aimed at, taxing the, the Russian money that was sat in Cyprus, but the Russian money left for Malta months before. <laughs> I think they got tipped off. Um, but the the whole uh, scenario, um, I was living in the, the Bitcoin bubble, um, so I was hearing all this, oh, this it's a perfect like, storm. And I, I was at the time thinking Bitcoin is perfect for this. People... If, if Bitcoin held, if if people held Bitcoin, sorry, they they wouldn't be going through this. Um, so uh, did some research into the to the market and stuff, and the the way in which people are in Cyprus, um, they don't like to, to deviate too much away from what they normally do. Um, so we thought, okay, build out physical locations. Um, so it's the same as like going to a bank, the same type of um, interactions that they're used to having and stuff. Um, how wrong was I? Um, the uh, so so that the so the business was we was innovating with like multi sig wallets, like really like when uh, back when multi sig was like literally nascent. Um, yeah, what what year was this? Twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Wow. So when they did the bail-ins in, in Cyprus, what could could you like could you just feel like the what was the shift in like just 
see if you read the, read the if you read the media that I was reading at the time, um, you would have thought everybody on the ground was running into Bitcoin. There's oh the first Bitcoin ATM in Cyprus. Um, like Bitcoin's gonna become like take over in Cyprus. It's the perfect um, scenario. Uh, for Bitcoin. So you kind of had that. But then on the other hand, it was like, no, people are queuing up to get 60 euros or 100 euros out of the ATM to ensure that they can feed their family um, because the banks are shut. <laughs> people aren't and can't move vast sums of wealth into Bitcoin because the banks have closed their doors. Um, and what was the feel on the street between like the general population? Was Nobody knew what like... Bitcoin was. Um, <laughs> like literally... Right. Nobody. Um, but just like everyday life where people, it must have just, it must have been tangible, right? Like people are losing their, their wealth and they have no idea what's um, happening tomorrow. Well, it- the there was a lot of uncertainty, but life just went on. As long as you could hmm. feed your family and you had access to some capital, um, people were, were fine just continuing on. Yeah, sure, there was some unrest and uh, and stuff when they, like I say, when the, they was first discussing, because the banks closed and they hadn't decided what the final situation was going to be when they closed the banks to prevent that run. Um, so everything, nobody knew anything really. It was just up in the air and there was like lots of speculation about what was actually going to happen and, uh, and stuff like that. So, so people was just getting on the best they could. So, and the... The underlying issue was people was borrowing in Cyprus, investing in Greek bonds that was offering a high return. All of those Greek bonds got defaulted on. None of the lending got paid back because the income right. had stopped. Um, so they was like literally playing the um, borrowing low, investing for high returns, merry-go-round, and that merry-go-round stopped. Um, and that's when uh, all of the uh, like the bail-ins and everything that happened. So. Um, in a way, it was the the behaviours of the people in Cyprus that was doing this, uh, borrowing that money to invest. Um, but in a way, the the banks was also promoting that as a good thing to do um, that would never come to an end. Like the good times would never end because Greece wouldn't default on their their bonds and stuff. Um, so, an all too familiar story. Yeah. Wow. So what did you start building then in Cyprus? Um, we actually built uh, the first location, uh, like f- uh, physical branch. It was absolutely beautiful. I don't know if you've seen images of it. Um, but it, in Nicosia, our offices was in Nicosia, above where the, the branch was in a brand new building. Um, I Basically, if I could go back, I would do so much different. Um, mm. We raised capital from within the Bitcoin community and stuff. Um like pre-ICO days, it was like the wrong, um, 100%, so many wrong decisions that I made. Um, and it was me that was making the decisions. Um, and it was me that was choosing the people that was around the company, influencing decisions. Um, so the book 100% stops here. Um, and so much went wrong. Um, but, and then it all exploded. Um I literally had to go quiet for the best part of me or coming up or was coming up to like three years when I could break my silence. I fought extradition. I had threats made against my family. Um, there was people that made false accusations against me um, that offered for all of the, the issues to go away if I signed over all the assets um, of the company. 
we was um, innovating uh, with like multi-sig wallets um, to enable the the user to hold one key, we would hold another. Uh, we had a card payment network that was developing of our own uh, that was linked to the Bitcoin wallets. Um, so, and, and we also had other bits and pieces that we was working on as well. Um, but ultimately, we spread ourselves too thin, and uh, some of the people was just wrong that got involved with the company. Um, but again, it, it was all my decisions. So, um, so you said you were fighting extradition. What uh, this time you were? So you were in the UK, yeah. and like the business started I, going. I, I, no, 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 no. I, I lived in Cyprus um, from 2012. Right. I'd literally just paid up 12 <clears throat> months on my house. Um, I've moved into a new property in Nicosia to be closer to the offices because Tur came over and spoke at two of our uh, conferences. Right. And he wrote um, in this expose article basically what him and Andreas uh, did because Andreas was um, uh, an advisor to the company that we was paying. I'd spoke to him about three times. It was somebody else that worked for me um, that wanted him on board that was a friend of his um, for help for the the development guys and um so <clears throat> and they, they wrote article or blog posts about me that basically uh, like tur said oh my house was like practically empty i'd literally moved into it so like the, the night before i was putting together the furniture for the spare room at like 5 a.m i picked him up from the airport at like 7 8 a.m <laughs> at the same time i was trying to launch neo uh, and the business and uh, we had these conferences and, and stuff like that. So I was just like, oh, oh whatever. Um, I've got bigger problems than um, uh, like refuting things like that. Um, but ultimately, they, they were just protecting themselves, and I've got no problem with them doing that. Throw me under the bus. Um, I made enough bad decisions to, to warrant being thrown under the bus. There was lots of like rampant and wild speculation. Uh, like me and Mark Parles was sat on an island somewhere sipping pina coladas <laughs> with all of these bitcoins, and it's like, no, yeah, it's not. Ultimately, not what happened. I literally came back to the UK for five days. I had some meetings with the uh, had some meeting planned with an investor, and uh, the next thing you know, there's a, an arrest warrant being issued for me. Um, and it took me 11 months to find out what was in that warrant. Um, mm. And when I did find out, I burst out laughing. Um, well, what, what was it? The accusations was absolutely crazy. Um, one of them, they, no, I think three of the, the accusations uh, were uh, fraud, uh, uttering a false document, and um, obtaining uh, goods under false pretenses. Oh, and money laundering, um, and there was a uh, accusation of theft. Um, but pretty much around that, and like one of them was about this contract that had uh, a company name um, that was written as limited LTD on the end of a company name, and that company hadn't been formatted on the date of that contract, the, the date that was on the contract, um, and they basically said that I had misled this person into believing that this country, this company was a limited company and it was registered and what have you. Um, so uh, about a year later, when I finally got interviewed by the Cypriot police in London at the embassy, when, after they dropped the warrant and stuff and they wanted to close everything down, uh, I was thrilled to be able to produce the fact that I hadn't actually written that contract. And I, I had the emails of me sending that contract back stating that 
that company isn't limited yet. Um, <laughs> uh, and things like that. And that's just one of the, the mild uh, accusations that was funny. Um, so what, what led to all this? Like, um, was there just like a bit of a breakdown in the business and then like investors wanted their cash back? Or, no, like, it wasn't even was it? that. It was um, basically... What, what was the business called? Neon B. Neon B. Yeah. Um, right. I did an interview recently with Charlie Shrem um, that covered uh, a lot of it off. Um, but ultimately, um, investors lost money after the fact because the, the business and everything collapsed. Uh, when all of this was going on. Um, but ultimately, what I put it down to is um, these individuals were requesting me to sign over all of the assets from everything that was created um, to them in exchange for dropping all of these allegations. Um, Cyprus has got a population of just under a million people in the south, uh, the southern part of uh, Cyprus. Every man and his dog is related. Um, <clears throat> and this warrant was going through the, the UK judiciary system um, at Westminster Magistrates, which is where all of the terrorists and everybody like um, goes. People may have seen it when they've been looking at uh, Julian Assange's cases and things. Um, Assange was quoted in my um, ref in my arguments against being um, extradited. His case was uh, cited uh, in my defence. Um, and... Uh, it, it was just absolute like madness. Um, I was on electronic tag for three months um, to prove that I wasn't going to leave the country. Uh, so I had a curfew. Um, I've never, ever been tried or even charged with a crime in my entire life. Um, but I still went through uh, that whole extradition uh, proceeding. So my life was on hold. I couldn't commit to anything. Uh, and the... After 11 months of um, extradition proceedings, bearing in mind this is supposed to take 10 days under the European mm. arrest warrant thing to make a decision. 11 months later, uh, I randomly got an email saying that they've dropped the warrant out of the blue. The warrant has been dropped. Um, right from the beginning, there's a provision in the Extradition Act where you, if it's a, an accusation warrant, you can... Um, like making an arrangement to be questioned in the country where you're at um, by the, the law enforcement agents of the country uh, that's trying to extradite you. So we was making this, uh, and they was adamant, no, we want you here, we're going to hold you on remand whilst we, um, whilst we question you for a maximum period of seven days. So, and then we'll decide uh, what we're going to do after those seven days um, in our courts. Um so, yeah, so I, I was fighting to, to stay in the UK um, because I, the stories and stuff, part of the – I heard some of the, the statements was being twisted and changed um, when people was interviewed about me um, with the police and stuff. It just stunk to high heaven. Um, and, like, now um, there's a, a girl that was part of a rape accusation case um, – in Cyprus, and she's been saying, "Oh, the police was changing, like they changed what I said, they twisted what I said, uh, and things like that." And she literally got sentenced for um, complaining that she was uh, gang raped in Iron Apple. Um, and it's like, do you know what? It sounds so similar. Um, but she's back in the UK now, and they literally held her in prison and stuff. 
uh, and tried her for making these false accusations that because it would make them look bad if some if that had happened to somebody in Iron Apple. <clears throat> yeah, after eleven months, they literally turned around, dropped this warrant, and said, "We'll come to London. We'll interview you, um, but you can't have a lawyer." Uh, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> literally got emails stating like the the exchange. I was like, okay, so my lawyer will be present. Um, I want my Cypriot lawyer and my UK lawyer. I um, know oh you can't have any lawyer. Um, it, from what I can gather uh, and a little bit of research, the there was a bit of a an investigation in the Economics Crimes Unit of the Cypriot Police, and there was loads of uh, like corrupt or, or corruption exposed. Um, and basically, the people that was making these accusations were extremely well connected. Put it that way. Uh, I can't prove it, but the people that know who they are would know exactly uh, like the, the level of integration into politics and everything um, to the point of one of them has the ex-president over for tea. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and when we was over there, these people was helping us when it suited and they was helping us make a massive impact and, and stuff. Uh, and some of them I really looked up to, um, others not so much. Um, so yeah, it was just uh, one hell of a mess. So I ended up being interviewed in the, um, the Cypriot embassy in London for five hours. I recorded it on my phone. I couldn't have a lawyer present, but I recorded it on my phone purely for the fact that if they want to try and extradite me again, I can prove they won't have my, or give me my, um, human rights of representation and, and everything. So I have a, a solid defense when it comes to trying to extradite me to Cyprus ever again. Um, and it, by the end of this interview, I turn around and said to them, oh, what would you do if I was in my position? And he said, if the cost is as much money as what these have clearly cost you and everybody else, um, I'd sue them. I'd see them in court. That was from the no police. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The police are no like, way. if you're ever in Cyprus, just come and see us. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, just to, like, just shoot the ship, basically, on like, over a coffee um, to talk about Bitcoin uh, and everything. Like, you're always welcome. They couldn't have been nicer the, mm. <laughs> in the end. Um, and, and these people was, like, adamant that they wanted me over there. Um, they was going to hold me on remand. Um and then after this uh, this interview, they said, we know it's going to get closed. This case uh, will be closed. You'll hear from the Attorney General to say that it's been closed. Uh, it took them f- three months nearly to, to actually send the confirmation that the, the case was closed. Yeah. Man. Um, and, and part of me thinks if I'd have been over there, it took them three months to close the account, uh, close the account, close the, close the case, um, would I have been on remand? in separate prison that's overpopulated for three months um, <laughs> for, for absolutely nothing or for, for getting, uh, making some bad decisions about who I had around um, the, the other bad decisions that I was making at the time. Um, so for the best part of the year, you were like waking up every day, just not knowing whether there was going to be like a, a, yeah, a there, squad there car was, at the door. Oh, like, you know, it, no, there was two, uh, it was about a year and a half where that was the case. Uh, and also, oh, when, when they actually came and knocked on my door, bearing in mind when the, all the newspaper articles came out, I took myself to the police station and said, look, the Daily Mail's written this about me. Um, <laughs> was there an ounce of truth in it? <laughs> oh, in the Daily Fail, it made absolutely no sense. Uh, they talked <laughs> about my uh, the Bentley driving Britain abroad. Um, 
Nice. Has absconded with seventy thousand euros. And it's like my car is worth more yeah. than than the amount of money I've just paid my uh, rent for twelve months in Nicosia, which. Uh, if you add all of that, my dogs are sat in kennels, um, and everybody that knows me knows that, like my dogs and my children, yeah, the, the kids are only just a <laughs> I joke, but um, but my my dogs mean everything to me, and um, literally my entire life was still in Cyprus. My daughter was still in Cyprus, um, and the Daily Mail was saying that I'd absconded this, that, and the other. Um, but the Daily Mail online, where it was published, is registered in America, so you kind of can't sue them for defamation. Um, oh. they, yeah. Um, Did any other papers pick up on well, it? Or the, like the problem it? was um, what, two of the people that was making accusations was part of arguably the biggest PR agency in Cyprus. So right. all of the local papers turned all of our marketing around into from Who is Neo, which was the tagline of the, the marketing campaign, into where is Neo? Um, so, and, and basically, a lot of the the press stuff that was ran, it was run from an angle. Information that people was given and was from the person inside that was making threats against my daughter. Um, so, all of the information, even information disseminated amongst Bitcoiners, um, was all being driven. Uh, even like when employees made, um, like social media posts about how bad and wrong I was. Um, it, it was all from a certain person and angle, um, which kind of, which made me the, the baddie in the situation. It's like, yeah, I was the baddie in the situation, but not in that way. Uh, I was the one that was mm. making decisions and made wrong decisions. Um, even in handling it, how I handled it, like when all of this was going on, um, was probably not the, the best way to handle it. But I didn't go to prison for crimes I didn't commit. So I'm right. happy with that, um, with that fact that I don't have that over me. Um, but So you've seen, like, the, the FUD machine up close and personal, like far too, far yeah. too up close and personal. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I take literally everything. Um, it made me very aware of the... Um, what's it called? The, the Murray Gelman amnesia effect. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that um, within the media. Um, people give the media some level of authority that is unwarranted. Um, a, a journalist is a journalist. They, they have to, to write um, about many different things um, <clears throat> unless they have a specialist subject. Then, um, Basically, if you, if you really know, if you're an expert of a, of a topic or you have a really high level understanding of a or, or deep level of understanding of a topic, you can read a, a media article and you think, that's absolute rubbish. Like, printing money is good. Um, so, but you know, you know that. So you think, oh, that's absolutely rubbish. Turn the page over. Oh, this war on Iraq, you don't understand geopolitics geopolitics and things like that um, so the information that you're provided in the next article from another journalist you accept as fact because but you've forgotten the, the the previous journalist that was writing about the thing that you understand um actually doesn't know very much and their understanding is incorrect and how they've presented it is just wrong um and and for me that kind of just validated that 
like the state of the media in the UK is like at, at all time lows. Yeah, um, you only have to look at this Dominic Cummings guy. Um, yeah, he may man. have been absolutely stupid. Fair enough, um, but there's pe- the media are baying for his blood, and they're all stood outside the front of his house in one big crowd, complaining at the fact that he was not social distancing or whatever. Um, but for me, all politicians have an impossible job of keeping however many millions of people happy. Um, so they're either stupid or genius uh, for getting paid for trying to uh, achieve a, an impossible job. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's just like rank hypocrisy. Um, and you just kind of have to gather facts for yourself these days. Um, even videos presented online and stuff like that, you, you have to kind of make sure that you've got the full context because a 30-second video clip can make somebody look really bad. Um, um, but in the, but you may have missed the, the 25 minutes of goading or physical abuse or verbal abuse that's, that's preceded um, that one person retaliating um, and they're the one that look, and they're, they're the one that looks bad then uh, and stuff like that. So we uh, and people do take, uh, but we lap up those twenty second clips, right? Because oh, yeah. we're so busy, we're so fast scrolling through. Yeah. If we see if we see a Karen like yelling <laughs> at someone in a shopping aisle, we think that's the full story right there. Yeah. But like you say, we you know somebody might be in there needling them, needling them, needling them to that point to try and get some kind of viral clip. Yeah, um, and you can even edit. You can record the whole three minutes, but you can edit the 30 seconds on your phone. Mm. And you can frame anything these days to to look and appear. And this is what's going to happen when all of this COVID stuff blows over. Um, one side's going to pull these numbers and another side's going to pull these numbers from a data set. And whatever validates their position and their bias and, uh, and everything – um, they're just going to argue from that, and both will have a case, uh, and they'll make a case look presentable, and one side will accept that side and then reject the other side, and um, it's uh, it's just the way. Meanwhile, all of this BS is playing out. We're just sitting yeah. here quietly stacking sets. That's all you can do, really. Uh, and That's like everything, it. it's like everything that went on with uh, with me in, in, in what like with Cyprus and stuff. The, I had a year away from my daughter uh, whilst it was all going on. She was still in Cyprus. I couldn't go back to Cyprus. Um, and the it was either let it break me. I, I was 100% in a depressed state for mm. that period of time. Um, probably didn't see it at the time. Um, but I said to myself, what have I spent the most money on in the last, say, decade of my life? Um, what what do I want to do now? Uh, it was either become a lawyer um, or, and the, and the law does interest me. Uh, I love a good debate. Uh, I'll argue any side. I sometimes take the contrarian position just for the fun of it, for throwing a hand grenade into a social situation <laughs> um, if it gets a bit boring. Um, but the, um, the other one was software development and how I was when I was younger uh, and stuff like that. So, I literally just started reteaching myself how to code and um, and everything, and just started iterating out. I, I was playing around with um, Open Bazaar when that had just launched and, and stuff, um, 
just improving, improving, improving. Uh, I had we had one idea for um, the company in Cyprus, and that was to develop Neo EasyCoin. We had the domain EasyCO.in. Um, it was essentially to become the the um, uh, what's it called Charlie Shrem's company. Um, bit instant of Europe, basically. Um, the uh, uh, so I thought we can do that even better now. Like with hindsight, I could do that better. Um, so I started iterating out, bought the domain be the um, reached out to the FCA. So could we get a um, special uh, discount uh, dispensation to use the name bank in our domain, even though we're not a bank? They declined. Um, so we bought uh, fastbitcoins.com. Uh, I literally built and wrote every line of code myself uh, whilst on bail and everything to, to develop um, fastbitcoins.com. Um, and I met Obi from CoinFloor um, in Manchester at CoinFest, which is a um, like free uh, Bitcoin slash altcoin shitcoin event. Um but everybody goes, and the Bitcoiners are the Bitcoiners, and I end up arguing with all the shitcoiners, um, telling them how they don't need uh, their own token. Um, and the uh, we sat down and we spoke for a good couple of hours. Um, I think he took as much from the conversation as I did, um, and it's great to see the path that he's been on since we met. Um, so, but um, the. Um, but he said to me, you're going to need to trust people again. Um, yeah, um, I just built all of this and we it hadn't launched or anything. And I turned, ar- turned around uh, and spoke to a couple of the, the bigger backers of like Neo and, and stuff and uh, just explained to them, this is what I've built. Um, are you interested and what have you? Uh, and they came on board and they're now my co-founders for Fast Bitcoins. Um, they've been like a instrumental part um, of the business. Somebody that used to work at Neo, so things can't have been that bad. Now works for Fast Bitcoins, um, and it's, it's going great, guns. And it's literally um, the, the name of the holding company is AAO for Against All Odds. Um, right. So yeah, it's, so Against uh, All Odds. I mean, yeah, if you were. I mean, a, d- a day could have made a difference here, right? Five or six hours could have made a difference. You could have ended up in prison for like uh, a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. For for nothing. Uh, Thirty-seven like, years they was trying to throw at me for these crimes. Uh, all right. So let's say that you spent a year in prison. How <laughs> do you, I mean, like you, you know? How do you get that time back? Well, one, how do you get the time back? But what does that do to you mentally? I, I know you said you were on um, Charlie's show. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that because his story just fascinates me as well. Um, I think, I think you know, he, his stories. I think he will put his hands away. Yeah, uh, he, he'll put his hands up. Um, I probably don't agree with everything that he does now with uh, everything that he does. But do you know what? He built something in this space. Um, and anybody that does that has my respect. Uh, somebody that's built something that's not just purely designed to separate people from their Bitcoins, but to actually generate some type of value um, in the space, 100% has my respect. Whether they succeed or fail, um, yeah, they've definitely got my respect because there's so many people that will put people down and 
uh, and what have you. But it's it's the builders that's going to take this and make this available to to everybody uh, and for for Bitcoin to fulfill any of its potential. Yeah, exactly. So explain fast Bitcoins to us then. What's the uh, what's the premise behind it, and um, what are you building out? Um, okay, so I've always thought people, the, the retail user, the man on the street, the woman on the street, to insert whatever gender you want on the street, um, needs a quick and simple way of just getting a bit of Bitcoin. Um, not your, uh, I'm not really interested in dealing with your investment bankers and your high frequency traders and stuff like that. Just the, the average Joe, um, the average Joe doesn't want to be bothered to open uh, an exchange account. Right? Exactly. If, if, you say, if you say to people, just open an exchange account, they're like, they, they glaze over. You're like, yeah. what are you even saying? I don't yeah. know what you mean. And I feel what's stupid. What's all these and order not... types? What's, what's all of these yeah. candles? What's all of these charts? It's, it's, yeah. uh, what's an order book? Uh, it's all extremely, um, uh, what's it called? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, intimidating for yeah. For the average person, um, you also got to remember that the average person really doesn't care um, mm-hmm. about Bitcoin. Um, but there's many of them that will care about the number going up. Um, and if they can discover Bitcoin trying to get a little bit richer or whatever, then so be it. Um, if every um, cyclical event that we go through, um, if just, say, 1% to 10% of those people stick around for, for the movement, that's going to compound over time and it's just going to grow and grow and grow. Um, and it's not on me to say who can and can't use Bitcoin. So if uh, if it's retail, if it's um, the, the big money, the institutions, it's not on me to say you can and can't use Bitcoin. That's the beauty of Bitcoin. Um, sure, people with a lot of money are going to be able to accumulate more Bitcoin than most people. Um as long as people have some Bitcoin, it gives them strength in the face of the money that uh, is centrally controlled by the, the government. Um, so it doesn't matter. And that's who, um, like with fast Bitcoins, the idea is ultimately to put a little bit of Bitcoin in a billion people's wallets um, one way or another. And we're trying to do that in the most best principled way, um, like we're non-custodial, uh, we now offer like dollar cost averaging. We can uh, we we've got an affiliate like um, referral scheme, so people can earn bitcoins by bringing customers to us, um, by bringing merchants to us to enable us to grow our uh, uh, retail networks and stuff. Um, so we're, we're trying to just basically create as many bitcoiners as we possibly can. Um, so for any really new people listening to this, when you say like uh, we're non-custodial, could you could you just like really yeah. make that clear for what, what you mean by that? Okay. If you do not control your Bitcoin, as in the, the keys to your Bitcoin, they are not your Bitcoin. Not your keys, not your coins. Um, so what we do as a company is we'll sell you those Bitcoins and we require to deliver them to you. Um, as soon as you've purchased them from us. You can't store them with us. We must send them to you. Um, We was the first um, cash-to-lightning exchange in the world. Um, So you could uh, go into one of our uh, retail partners uh, that's got a a convenience store or a store near you, um, buy one of our vouchers, 
and then redeem it and receive delivery on the Lightning Network and things like that. Uh, we're about to add Liquid as well for any traders that want to uh, get in and um, move funds into an exchange on Liquid um, without having to wait um, for larger on-chain um, transactions and stuff. Um, but even now, the language that I'm using is probably far too yeah. uh, advanced I was say, for, if, the, for the end if user. I'm just If I'm just a guy that's, that's listened to a few pods and I'm thinking – that's great. They keep talking about exchanges. They keep talking about um, non-custodial, and they keep talking like, "How can I just can I just walk into a shop and hand over some cash and get some Bitcoin back in like some kind of wallet?" Uh, and that's what you guys are essentially doing, right? No, um, it's almost like right. that. So we, we we do have some wallets where we're directly integrated into, so you can redeem one of our vouchers inside the wallet interface like the inside the, the actual wallet itself and we'll just deliver it straight into there um we we've got some more wallets coming online uh, but samurai uh breeze wallet uh, which is a lightning wallet uh, and we've got a couple of others that we're working on and, and towards um like direct integration so you'll be able to go and buy a voucher denominated right, so if in I've, pounds if I've got or phone. euros uh, if I've got a phone with uh, with Samurai yeah. and I'm in the UK and I walk into a news agent and I need a pint of milk for the missus and I'm not going to buy the Daily Fail, but I might you know, I might pick myself up something else. And there's a point of sale machine at the counter that says sell Bitcoin or like it might have your sign on it, fast Bitcoin. Yeah, there'll be posters around the store. I could hand over 20 pounds yeah. and ask... Oh, what's the guy going to do? He's he's going to print out like he's a gonna barcode print out or something. A tw- no, a twenty pound fast bitcoin voucher, uh, right? Which will have, have a QR code. Or? Yeah, a QR code right. and the text code as well, uh, which you can then redeem either through fastbitcoins.com directly through your account there, or if you've linked your wallet to your fast bitcoins account, you'll scan the QR code and it will just deliver t- uh, twenty pounds worth of bitcoin to your wallet. That easy. Yeah. So. Right, I've got a phone. I've got a samurai. I've got. Uh, I've gone onto fastbit, fastbitcoins.com. I've opened an account. Yeah. Then I go to the newsagent or local store or petrol garage or whatever, and I see fast bitcoins accepted here. I can literally hand over twenty pounds. They give me off a printed receipt. Yeah. I take a snapshot. I go to the wallet, open the wallet, QR Scan- code reader, yeah. and there's twenty quid's worth of bitcoin. Yeah, in my samurai it, wallet. It will tell right. you how much you're going to get. You confirm that you want that much. You accept that amount. Uh, yeah, it's deliver it straight into your wallet. That's that how. doesn't get much easier, right? This uh, is for the masses now. It's not because the, the interfaces really? and stuff. No, I don't think so. I think we're still way, way, way off. Um, I'm probably one of the few people that would actually say that. Um I still think we can improve as a company, um, our flows and stuff. Uh, we've had to uh, adjust a lot because of the, the regulatory environment and things. Um, so we've had to put our big boy, uh, our big boy pants on um, and jump into bed with the, the regulators that be. Otherwise, they will send me to jail um, for, for operating a business like this and stuff. Um, is this to do with the yeah, anti-monetary, anti-money laundering law yeah, directive? Yeah, this is this yeah. is directed at the people that want to um, clearly fund some organisation that the, the government don't like with 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds a month. Um, 
uh, <laughs> when they're <laughs> stacking bitcoins. Um, but ultimately, we, we have to abide by the, the laws uh, until we can afford to buy our own politicians um, to, to change those laws. <laughs> um, so I've I, got a I, smile I, on the face. I so, know you, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I think we'll get to a point. Um, where we have saturation, it's 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 not going to be an overnight success. We're already we're only what 10, 11 years in um, into to what was an experiment. Um, I don't think it's really an experiment now. Um, and for people listening to the show, where, where can they find your machines? Are you all over the UK or um, into Europe as well? Or? Yeah, we've got locations in Canada, um, the UK. We're, we're still not everywhere, um, but. We're a completely bootstrap company. We have no outside investment yet. Um, we're in uh, Estonia. We've got a location in Riga um, because somebody went to the someone from the company went to the Baltic Honey Badger conference here and and sold it to a, a local computer shop shop or sold the idea. Um, so we've got a location in Riga, Estonia. Uh, we're just getting registered with Austrack in Australia, so we're hot, so like going to start rolling out there. Um, we've got distribution agreement in uh, Uganda, um, Togo, Ghana, uh, and uh, uh, Madagascar um, as well. So if I understand, it's not as if you're actually – you're not providing the machines. that You're just providing the software that is downloaded on no, to no, their no, point no. of sale. We provide the, the piece of hardware, the software that is on the device. We manage all of that remotely. It all gets updated over the air. Um we provide the, the retailer with a credit account. Um, so there's literally zero risk for the, the merchant. Um, they don't even have to know what Bitcoin is to be able to start generating revenues from this. Uh, we've got merchants in the UK that are earning up to like £2,000 a week uh, in revenue, uh, sorry, £2,000 a month in extra revenue just by offering our services. Um, and one of the, through having this network of hardware of our own, um, we, we can literally put anything we want onto these devices. So um, one of the the bolt-ons that, we, uh, that I developed for fun was like a point-of-sale payment processing on the Lightning Network. So all of our uh, merchants can accept Lightning payments. Um, our merchants can receive commissions in their local currency or we uh, have a stacking sats mode for merchants. So any of their revenues are, are generated uh, and stored in Bitcoin and they uh, can just withdraw that Bitcoin from us um, whenever they wish uh, and what have you. So, Right, cool. Right, lots of business questions now So, because um, this is fascinating me. Um, Not bad for a, a, a college dropout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Built it whilst on bail. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Built it, built it with an electronic ankle brace on, you know, whilst um, people are like, you know, baying for blood and all kinds of like Telling nonsense. Telling me to hang myself, yeah. Oh, mate. <laughs> so to scale the business now, what what is the most important side? The the um, Who do you need to adopt, like the merchants or the users? Or is it 50-50? Uh, What's the... It's 50-50. The payment processing side is just a bolt-on. We don't expect to do too much volume or anything. Um, it's just, it's, it's there. But um, we're we're adding electronic payments as well. Um, So people will be able to deposit to us using their bank accounts in Europe, um, possibly the UK, we'll see. 
uh, if we can get everything lined up uh, how we want uh, uh, Australia uh, and Canada um, the African countries where we're going to be operating in will predominantly be cash uh, for now the so so it is a case of uh, both users and I want to grow out our merchant network um, so we can so people don't have to question have you got a fast bitcoins location near you they're just going to assume it because we're we have that depth um, of uh, of penetration of uh, local uh, retailers. We we can also work with larger chains because we can integrate directly into their existing uh, like point of sale systems, so they can generate our vouchers and handle deposits and things um, through an integration with us like that. Um, but then we can also deal with uh, like more independent and smaller chains uh, by giving them our own hardware uh, as well. So, um, and then we've just literally relaunched everything because all of like the compliance and the, uh, just improving the flows, and I can still make it a good thirty percent better for the for the end user. I feel um, so over the, the the coming month and a half. Um, we should see even more improvements um, to the to the flow of how everything works, and um, even improving like the dollar cost averaging uh, service that we offer and stuff uh, to make that even better. Uh, we also introduced like something called a drip order, uh, which basically takes like a, a voucher, cuts it up over a twenty four hour period, and just executes an order every ten minutes until it's filled. So you basically averaged out. So you stack those stats throughout the twenty four hour period. Then you receive delivery at the end. Um, so, so people we're trying to get people to disconnect from the emotional investment into the price that they've bought at mm. as much as possible, um, because then people hopefully panic a little bit less and what have you. So, so how does um, how does like the the business model work out? So, if I'm a merchant and I start using um, fastbitcoins.com, I'm assuming I get x amount of the commission yeah and um, x amount of yeah i mean how does that whole process i mean obviously you're growing a business you know we, we expect you to be taking a fee of course that, that would be yeah. mad if not and where are you getting the bitcoins from are you like uh, um attached to a certain exchange where we have um liquidity providers that we're um like essentially plugged into an api level so we execute our trades uh, as and when we need to, um, so we we can we access liquidity that way. Um, but from the the merchant's perspective, we um, for cash any cash transactions now we charge like a flat four percent fee. Um, on average, the, the merchant earns like two percent of that. If we have two models now um, for for the merchants, so if we provide you with a credit account, we pay say two percent interest. Um, if you prepay, um, so you, you basically have a, say, if you've prepaid a £500, you can sell £500 worth of vouchers, but we'll pay you, say, 3% commission because you've prepaid and we've not had to take any credit risk and stuff like that. Um, but most of our merchants have a credit account. There's zero risk to them. Um, we burden all of that risk um, that they're going to pay once they've sold the vouchers and stuff. Um, but the... Uh, so yeah, so that's the the merchant side of things, uh, and we're not actually directly linked to any single exchange. 
Um, we have our local banking relationships where we have merchants because the merchants pay us uh, electronically. And then we move those funds into our liquidity providers uh, to obtain the best possible price uh, in the market for when we're replenishing the, the stock that we're selling to them. Man, that's, that's a complicated. Uh, it's amazing what you've built. It's, I think it's awesome. It's, uh, there's a lot of moving parts there that, um, that you've thought very, very carefully about. Yeah, and then we have to add in all of the compliance side and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so I've tried, we've tried to automate as that as much as possible. Uh, we've got some safeguarding measures in now that just basically try to ensure that users aren't being scammed and ripped off when they're first using us um, oh. because we have seen that, unfortunately, uh, being the case where, oh, go and buy some Bitcoins. You can get some locally from you from here. And then you can send them to us um, because we're offering you this amazing investment opportunity uh, and stuff. Um, so we ask some questions that aren't too invasive uh, when a user first uses us uh, and completes their first order um, because we would like to try and stop as much of that as possible because ultimately that person that gets scammed is going to think twice next time they come across Bitcoin um, and they're going to associate Bitcoin in that negative context. Um, so we've got to try and do our bit um, because that does happen, unfortunately. Mm. I'm just thinking now in my mind, like um, in, in major cities, certainly around the UK, you have the, um, like if we use London as an example, you have the Santander cycle things. I mean, is that like, could you get your point of sale in those machines that are all then all over London? And because they print out, they print out the exact, QR code so you could take a bike for two hours, right? Yeah, you could we, buy Bitcoin at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually have some rickshaws in Glasgow. Um, really? The pedal rickshaws, yeah. yeah, where the riders have our device. Um, they've hotspotted it to their phone. Uh, so, And you can buy the, the vouchers from the, the rickshaw riders. Uh, and you can even pay them using Lightning, obviously. Um, so, wow. And we've had them about a year now, probably a little bit longer as well, so... Yeah. So that is moving in that direction. So we we can literally, we don't allow just individuals that are what you would say like traditional local Bitcoins traders have our devices and give them a credit account, this, that, and the other, um, because there's uh, personal safety considerations and stuff. Uh, Whereas somebody with a a fixed retail location, um, they've already got existing things in place to ensure that they're not going to get robbed or um attacked uh, it's part of their existing business um it's just like an addition to their existing infrastructure it's not somebody that's just going to go meet somebody in a car park um randomly to to sell them 20 50 100 pounds 500 pounds worth of bitcoin through us um so we are trying to avoid that for now um in this model um that we're doing business mate that's awesome really uh yeah incredible work Thanks. It's uh, all we can do is just keep moving forward, trying to improve and improve and improve. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Hats off to you. I think um, what what a crazy journey. What an in- incredible story. Like it's yeah. You, you must look back like and think, <laughs> shit. Like you know, the amount um, you must have learned throughout this whole like you know, yeah. the, 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 there's got to be an upside. Obviously, there's always an upside to you know. Yeah, I, I was Sometimes. expecting uh, the first question of the evening to be, what is Bitcoin to you? 
because that is quite a common one that I've heard on your podcast. Right. And I was about to, I, I'd already pre-thought about it as humbling. Um, right. Bitcoin is extremely humbling. Um, I'm also getting older, um, and the only thing somebody from Vietnam yesterday from Bitcoin uh, VN, um, the the founder there said to me yesterday, the only thing um, as scarce as the sats that we stack is the the days that we have on this planet. Yeah. Um, and do you know what? That is so true. Funny enough, thinking about that on today of all days for me personally, it, yeah, it is so true. Um, don't think you know it all. Um, learn from the, the mistakes that have been made in the past by like myself and stuff. Uh, if I've not made all of these mistakes, I'll probably be sat on thousands of Bitcoins um, living on a yacht already. Um, I've still got to do a lot of work before I get back. To, to potentially um, ever um, living that, that lifestyle. Um, Stay away from boats, Danny. They're, 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 no, they're no good. Oh, boats, you know boats are not good for your wealth. I'm from a fishing family originally. Like, <laughs> the history of, um, my, apparently in the, the family tree, uh, William Brewster was one of the pilgrims that left on the Mayflower for America. Um, no, So sailing the, sailing the seas... Um, is uh, in the blood, uh, and it can also put me as far away from people as possible. <laughs> um, and with uh, Starlink, yeah. we can have. Uh, I, I was actually speaking to somebody that's been testing uh, these low Earth orbit uh, internet connectivity uh, down in the Arctic on research vessels, um, and they say like the the speed and the the, the ping and everything is just out of this world, uh, especially mm. on like a, a large ship for what they're used to. He said it's epic. Yeah, he loves working with it and stuff. Um, so, so yeah, maybe one day uh, when the big exit is done, and um, yeah, I'll have a floating Citadel happily. Um, <laughs> but, but I do want to uh, get everybody settled, like just repaid and stuff that backed Neo and stuff in Cyprus, and um, that's part of why I'm doing what I do uh, and stuff because they, yeah, they took a risk back in the startup and stuff, but. It didn't kind of go to plan, um, and they didn't. They shouldn't have lost out in the way that they lost out. Um, mm. So I feel like the ultimate responsibility there um, mm-hmm. to to get those guys settled uh, and lasses and ladies. So yeah, we'll get there. But it's just hard yeah, work. Yeah, let's hope so, man. I'm not the smartest, so anybody can build. Anybody. Yeah, that's a good message. That's a great message. Well, you you probably know how we're in the show, so. Um, if there was one person you could uh, implant your knowledge into uh, that you've learned about Bitcoin and all of the lessons that you've learned along the way that would then go and share that message with their audience, an audience far wider than you could ever imagine and influence and educate about Bitcoin, who would that person be and why? Hmm. Either president of the US or... Um, Maybe the Prime Minister of the UK, or of one of the the lot, or the, the the Chancellor of the German, uh, or the Chancellor of Germany, um, one of the larger economies, um, the first um, leader that's a maximalist. Go and tell your central bank that we're going on to a Bitcoin standard because it's going to separate us from the um, from the rest of the world, and it's going to allow us to. Um, probably get invaded pretty quickly by the US. 
<laughs> but yeah, just somebody that has worked themselves into that type of position that can make those influential decisions. Um, yeah, that would probably be the one for me. You know what? I think that country would get invaded, but I think they'd get invaded with very smart Bitcoiners. I think there'd yeah. be like a brain race to the first nation that did that. Yeah. There's a few countries that do apparently hold Bitcoin. Um, you can kind of um, hazard a guess at which ones and stuff, but I know Bulgaria, uh, they probably sold them off. I think it was Bulgaria or maybe it was Hungary that had like a few thousand Bitcoins that they'd um, taken off somebody um, like they said, stolen them from somebody or confiscated them from somebody that gave them up uh, uh, and stuff. But, but yeah, it would be to give that knowledge and thoughts and understanding to, to somebody in a position that can impart those onto uh, society from the very top. Um, because as much as uh, I love the ANCAP group, um, humans fall into to packs um mm. even when you remove leadership uh, we're tribal animals um so yeah so just the leaders um that have the most power uh, and influence on a global scale yeah very cool all right danny well thank you so much for your time mate it's been uh, it's been great getting to know you a little bit and and hearing your story uh, thank you for you know sharing everything being so open so honest and uh yes. so inspiring with what you're doing um you know it's a bitcoin core company and um you, you're building it for those people that, that that need it the most and um like making it very very available so um i think it we're it, trying it, it's That's awesome, all we man. can do is try well do you have any final thoughts for the listeners get the Premier League started so we can watch Liverpool win the league <laughs> I've been waiting 30 years for it <laughs> <laughs> all right there you go fa <laughs> you gotta you gotta listen to, to danny brewster and where, where can people find you mate what's uh, what's the best um, place to send people to uh either the bitcoin's fast twitter um i don't run it but uh or btc danny on uh on twitter try not to uh, engage too much on there with people but i will have a play every now and then um so yeah, and fastbitcoins.com if you want to become a merchant, non-merchant, um, have a skill set that we could possibly use, let us know. Get in touch. Um, we're just a bunch of Bitcoiners trying to move forward in this world. Love it. Excellent. Thanks so much, Danny. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Everyone, thank you so much for listening and um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed everything that, uh, that Danny had to, to share with us there. What an incredible journey. I mean, talk about ups and downs in a lifetime, you know, and uh, and being on the on the verge of almost going to prison, you know, it's um it's very humbling. It's very humbling when when you think about like um you you could have been one or two days away from your life being changed forever um you know, just out of circumstance. And you get, yeah, it gives you time to pause and reflect on um, what well, it does for me anyway on on, on everything that's uh, that's going on right now um, in the world, in uh, the economic landscape, in um, in in every aspect 
of of politics of uh, modern monetary theory on, on what's going on you know with the division of of people um around around the world at the moment and um the uprisings we're seeing or the infighting we're seeing you know this is all driven this is all driven by something uh you know um nobody's born with hatred or um skepticism it's um you got to ask yourself you got a question you, you know what is the cause root of it what is the core cause root of this and if as many of us believe in the Bitcoin space, if as many of us believe that the root cause problem is that the money is broken and at, you know, our very, you know, basic level, uh, you know, the human element of, you know, b- being able to express value to each other and um, pay each other for for the time that has gone into, you know, a, a value the service or um, product that um, that's being offered, if that's just being manipulated behind the scenes to the point of thievery and robbery, then you got a question: Is that a problem? If and if that is the problem, we should be looking at something else. And and you know, Bitcoin could be the answer. And you know what Danny's doing with his company and with his ethos, and um, you know. Bitcoin only company and, and making that available to as many people on the street as possible just to get hold of a little bit, just a little bit a week for the next however many years, um, how that might change their their life and their family's life and their future. I think it's um I think it's amazing. I think it's brilliant. So go check um, go check out the uh, the company Fast Bitcoin and uh, reach out to Danny on Twitter and um, yeah as always um, reach out and say hi you know a, a big thanks again um, Danny mentioned Obi in the show Obi's been on and uh, we had a great interview and he was kind enough to support the show and that's CoinFloor.co.uk and if you use uh, forward slash Bitten then you can start your stack and sats journey there. Um, you know, for as little as uh, oh, 50p to a pound a day or something, if, if you if you want to, if you can afford more, do more, um, to, you know, 10 to 50 pounds a week, whatever it is, just start putting something away for the future. Thanks, as always, for listening, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, if you are US-based, excuse me, if you're US-based, you can start your stack and sats journey with swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. Um, I've got an interview coming up with with Brady, um, who's uh, part of the Swan team, and he does a great job of explaining what they are all about. Or you could go back and listen to uh, my interview with Jan Pritzker or Corey Clipston, the co-founders of Swan. Have a great um, morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are, guys. Really appreciate you listening. The likes, the shares, the DMs. It's, uh, it's all very humbling. Thanks so much. Take care.